0: What's going on? This is the Saturday Down South podcast. I am Connor O'Gara. Will, I am glad that we waited to talk about the SEC scheduling models. Oh, yes. I almost pulled the trigger. I, I, I came so close to pulling the trigger last Monday, but I was like, no, nah, you know what? I, I really want your perspective on this because I'm admitting up front here that my perspective is skewed with me not having a team. And Also, I didn't want to come out with something and then have it be cold-taked by the end of SEC meetings in Destin, though obviously we know now, we're recording this Monday after SEC meetings in Destin, we know now there is not a final decision on what the SEC scheduling format will look like once Texas and Oklahoma join the conference. So that's a long-winded way of saying, well, we're going to have some fun today. Heck yeah, man. I'm pro fun. Yeah, pro fun as well. Yeah, we need to have a little bit of fun with some of this stuff. Uh, So we're going to go through all that. We're also going to catch up with Josh Pate and talk about a lot of different current things. And we've got a little something different in Bold and Brash. Arch Manning is in the midst of his official visit. So we've got an Arch Manning edition of Bold and Brash. But first, I'm going to call this the great SEC schedule model debate of 2022, probably going to extend into 2023. Catchy. <laughs> let's, let's be honest. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's a little wordy. It's a working title. We're not fully committed to that yet. It's like the Michael Scott's Thunder Mifflin Fun Run for the Cure. <laughs> I remember the first time I saw those shirts, because mm-hmm. I, I, it was before I was watching The Office and I saw somebody wear that shirt and I'm like, why, why didn't they come up with a better name? That's <laughs> like so stupid. Uh, I, I got the joke eventually. Okay, so. By now, we know the SEC is either going to be going with a 3-6 conference schedule model or a 1-7. Again, that's when Oklahoma and Texas joined the conference, and it, the, the league is going to expand to 16 teams, which is going to happen by 2025 at the latest. It can happen sooner. It's starting to look like it's going to happen in 2025. Mm-hmm. If you don't know what that means when I say 3-6 or 1-7, here's what that is. the 3-6 model would mean that you get three permanent rivals and that you'd face them every single year. And then you would have six rotating home and homes. But nine conference games and you would lose, uh, you know, you would you would lose some of these some of these rivalries that we get in terms of the divisional annual games that we see. So divisions are, are gone. Divisions are not going to be a thing with either the three six or the one seven. The one seven model would mean that you get one permanent rival, three, or, and then seven rotating home at homes. But you only have eight conference games, mm-hmm. just like currently have. We would lose some annual rivalries again, like. Alabama LSU, Georgia Auburn, plenty of others, and we're gonna get to that. So if you're listening to this, you probably have a favorite. By now, <laughs> I'm I'm assuming most people are not like in the dark, like, hey, you know what, I could be I could be swayed either either side. You probably have a favorite, and that's that's totally fine. If someone tells you though that this is obvious, they are overlooking something that we're gonna probably address on this podcast. That's that's my goal. I wanna bring up the point that that maybe you haven't thought through, or maybe at least at one point during this, you're gonna say, oh yeah, you know what actually, maybe I should consider that as well with this debate. Mm -hmm. I have a lean, I definitely have a lean, uh, but it's by no means like a slam dunk thing because there are so many moving parts with this and that's what we're going to get to. It's not as easy as saying, well, you know, do what you can to keep the non-conference rivalries or do what you can do to keep those number two and number three rivalries within the conference. There are a lot of personal agendas here. We know that. Mm-hmm. Seth Emerson reported that Kentucky, Mississippi State, and Arkansas want to stay with the eight game conference schedule while teams like Alabama and Florida, they're pushing for the nine game switch. That apparently came out in Destin where the initial thinking was, hey, let's make the switch to the nine game conference schedule. then. Later in the week, there was a bit more of a push for the eight-game conference schedule, which means now we're not going to have a resolution on this deal. Probably not going to be in the fall. Maybe it's going to be even later than that. Let's talk about the money, okay? Because that's first and foremost when it comes to any move that's made in college football, or at least it feels like that these days. I saw some people being like, hey, money always wins out in college football. So if you move to a nine-game conference schedule, you increase the TV deal, Mm -hmm. and everybody benefits off that not so fast," to quote the great Lee Corso. Ross Dellinger reported that ESPN media rights deal actually wouldn't change at all with an eight game conference schedule going to a nine game conference schedule. So that's not not necessarily going to be a part of that in these negotiations. We know that it's going to be a massive contract with Oklahoma and Texas on board. But this belief that the SEC is going to have some huge difference in TV revenue based on an eight game or a nine game conference schedule is actually wrong. Like There's not necessarily that obvious proof there. Of course, the Big Ten has been operating under the belief that this is the best way to go for a while. I got into an argument with one of my buddies who's in this business and is a co-worker that I really respect, covers a Big Ten team, and he said, well, you know, Jim Delaney was ultimately proven right for getting the Big Ten to go from an eight-game conference schedule to a nine-game conference schedule. And I thought this tweet was a joke at first. I really did. <laughs> I'm like, wait a minute. <laughs> In what world does that make sense? The Big Ten switched to a nine-game conference schedule in 2016 and then watched its conference champ get left out of the playoff in three consecutive years. That's bad. That is not a sign that it worked. Remember when Ohio State won it all in 2014? That was with an eight-game conference schedule. The only time any Power 5 team won a playoff game after playing a nine-game conference schedule was 2014 Oregon. Let me repeat that. I don't think that's known by many people. Mm -hmm. The only time any Power 5 team won a playoff game after playing a nine-game conference schedule was 2014 Oregon. We're excluding 2020 because conference schedules were all over the place. That much we know. But all these people saying that a nine-game conference schedule is obvious, they're overlooking the fact that in the playoff era, the numbers are so unbelievably skewed in favor of the teams with eight-game conference schedules. Let me tell you what those numbers are. I dug them up. Remember, we're excluding 2020 as we're talking about this, just because it was all over the place that year. Mm -hmm. Power five conferences with an eight game conference schedule made the playoff 15 of a possible 16 times. The ACC missing this past year was the first miss for an eight game conference schedule. Meanwhile, power five conferences with a nine game conference schedule made the playoff just nine out of 19 times. It's less than half. Mm -hmm. So if you're still not convinced, consider this stat. Power five conferences with an eight game conference schedule are 13 and four in playoff semifinal games, while power five conferences with the nine game conference schedule are one and eight. Ooh. Excluding, yeah, not good. (laughs) But wait, there's more. Excluding 2020, there are seven national champions in the playoff era. Every single one of them played an eight game conference schedule. Why do I bring that up? The, The SEC has always. Always, always, always made these decisions with the playoff in mind. It's all about the postseason. Mm -hmm. The Big Ten likes to brag about how proud it is for playing a nine-game conference schedule and talk about its level of competition. Buddy, the Big Ten has one more playoff game won in the last seven years than you and I combined. Okay, (laughs) I don't want to hear that from the Big Ten. I don't want to hear that as a point of pride. I just don't. The SEC is accounting for the changing discussion with the playoff. Mm -hmm. That's why we're at this stalemate. If playoff expansion was absolutely imminent in 2026, and we knew that was going to happen, about 11 months ago, it was looking very likely like, hey, 12-team model, that's going to happen. We're going to see the playoff field expanded. It's coming. If that were the case, I think the 3-6 model would have been finalized already. I really do. Mm But the problem is that that's not imminent at all. Greg Sankey has been saying since January that it didn't feel like the Alliance took him seriously when he said, hey, we don't need to expand from 4 to 12, or 4 to 8, whatever it is. The Alliance voted against expansion and got hung up on the automatic qualifiers for Power 5 Champs, which was actually a Big Ten initiative, ironically enough. They continue to turn to that and say that all conferences should have the same reward, even though we've got two decades worth of data to show us that not all conferences are created, We've talked about that. Sankey is like, hey, we'll stay at four. If that's the move, and if we don't get a, a change in the vote by 2023, which is when they want to have the playoff model kind of settled on for the future. Think about this. The SEC could have a 16 team super conference with a 14 playoff. That's dangerous, man. <laughs> that just is. You just have that's the whole playoff the
1: and just discontinue the rest of college football, really.
0: Yeah I, I mean like th- there are certain moves that you have to be aware of and that that's hurting your potential playoff risk as it is with an eight game conference schedule. But making a nine game conference schedule makes that path that much tougher. Remember that not everyone is set on having a nine game conference schedule. It's not like we've had the other four power five conferences all announce, hey, we're going to the nine game conference schedule starting in 2025 or starting in 2026. Saban brought up the point that they need to see what the other leagues are doing, because if everyone switches to an eight game schedule, why is the sec suddenly playing a nine game conference schedule with a super conference also why does the sec have to be first why can't someone else take that on if the sec announced a nine game conference schedule this past week what's stopping the teams in the alliance the conferences in the alliance i should say Mm -hmm. from going hey let's actually go to the eight game model and watch the sec just kind of shoot itself in the foot and have all kind of eat its own think about it from this perspective well, you, you're a big Madden guy, NCAA, sure, right? Yeah. Best scenario when you're playing, you're on defense. Mm-hmm. You're playing against someone. It's fourth and two. You're on defense. Running run the three-three-five,
1: right? as one does.
0: <laughs> but ideally, when you're you, when you're picking your play, you're like, please punt. I don't want to have to defend fourth and two. Mm-hmm. I don't want to have to mess with that. If the SEC had announced that it was playing a nine-game conference schedule this past week, the alliance is sitting there thinking, perfect. Our opponent just punted on fourth and two because there's now a world in which we could have this four team playoff and the SEC is playing in a nine game conference schedule with this 16 team super conference. All right. On the flip side, if literally everyone else is playing a nine game conference schedule and the SEC is still like, hey, we want to play an eight game conference schedule, probably not the best look. You know, it'd be different than the first part of the playoff era because the SEC has always had at least one other conference doing the eight-game conference schedule, mm-hmm. right? Uh, it's been the ACC throughout. The Big Ten was in the first couple years. And then, of course, they made the switch. Obviously, if there's any conference who has a legitimate argument to play fewer conference games, it's the one who won the last three national titles. And it's the conference who had its champion reach the title game in 15 of the last 16 years. Whew. Right? I get it from that standpoint. Yeah. Wait, really because quick. So the, if we
1: subtract Ohio State, from the whole nine-game debate. I oh, mean, buddy. it's like, because that's the Ohio State's recession-proof. Like, they're a team that you can make them play 10 conference games. They'd probably still find a way to sneak in every here and there. It's just kind of Michigan. that, Like, last year, who got dog-walked by Georgia. Like, Because, <laughs> like, as bad as those numbers are, like, they're all Ohio State, right? Michigan State got shut out, of course, in 2015. Connor game. Cook, couldn't happen game. to a better guy, yeah. Yeah, so it's been rough.
0: It's been real rough. And what's the sign that that's turning around anytime soon? You can't really point to that. So the Big Ten has not perfected this path to the playoff. The SEC has, it absolutely has. Not only does it have the best talent, but it makes sure that it doesn't do anything stupid. Okay? That's what you need to have on a yearly basis. And just because you dominated the sport before doesn't mean you can't do things to to hurt your chances moving forward. The SEC's goal is to be able to have two teams in the playoff. All right, Dominate non-conference play. Win these non-conference showdowns. If that means having an eight-game conference schedule, guarantee that your conference champ is getting into that field and not showing up there with three losses and then having some sort of debate about that. That's the key to this whole thing. Mm -hmm. I'm not pretending that there isn't downside to the 1-7 because there absolutely is. And if you can tell by this point, yeah, I'm leaning to the one seven. I'm definitely leaning to that. And I feel like I'm in the minority by saying that at this point. Selfishly though, like, I, I, when I see the three six, I, I want more competitive football games. I, mm-hmm. I want that. If you told me, hey, Mercer is being replaced on Alabama's schedule with Oklahoma. I say, yes, mm-hmm. sign me up. I'd love to see that. Cake week, it, it would take on a different meaning if we had more of these loaded weekends. It really would. It's weird to think that we could ever live in a time in which Alabama LSU or Georgia Auburn, Florida LSU, like doesn't happen. I love those games. I do. They're great. They're not going away, though, even with the one seven. But having a two year stretch where they don't happen would be an adjustment. And I'm not saying that's an easy thing to move past. Will, if I told you that LSU is not going to play Florida and Alabama every year, but it'll instead have that annual game with A&M.
1: What's your reaction to that? Well, so my question was gonna be, which one are they picking as LSU's rival? Because LSU is the side piece for so many SEC teams. Seriously, yeah. like they're you know, there's a rivalry with Arkansas, there's a rivalry with A&M, there's a rival with Florida, Auburn, Alabama. Like you can go up and down the list and for some reason Cajuns just want the smoke with everybody, so anybody who's receptive to said smoke, they just have a little Wikipedia article about it now. Um, So, I mean, man, for me personally, like, uh, I mean, weighing all sides of it, you know what I'm saying? Or just that one specific question?
0: Just that one specific question. If if the one is AM, if one seven is settled on, because it looks like that would happen by default. And, yeah. you know, maybe the one seven shouldn't be AM LSU. It should just be
1: Jimbo Fisher's nephew versus Kevin Fall. <laughs> I like our chances. Uh, yeah, I mean, so me personally, man, I mean, I, I'm taking one seven every day of the week. I don't care. This is going to sound bad, but I don't care. I've watched LSU go through the hardest schedule ever and go undefeated. And then I watch, you know, LSU's had very good plus years, like the Mettenberger years, that, you know, they have to play Georgia cross-conference and they lose in Athens. And it's like, I look at, we talked about it on one of the last pods about Ohio State schedule coming up. that's just cupcake, cupcake, cupcake. And as an LSU fan, I'm sitting here and I see Auburn and LSU and Alabama every year at the top of the strength of schedule rankings. And I'm just like, why do I want this? I've grown up with this every year. The goal as a fan is for your team to play as well as possible, and for your opponents to play as poorly as possible. So as a fan, I would rather, AM was a team that LSU was historically dominated. Yeah, it's been about 500 since Jimbo got there, but if you totally remove all context, whatever. But if you tell me, okay, there's Alabama, which as much as I, you know, love my LSU Tigers, that is a game that, we just can't win if you tell me you take that off the schedule and lsu right. yeah, yeah. lsu because i was so jealous during the dan mullen years of what florida was able to do by winning 10 games a year not having to play alabama just top 10 ranking every year while lsu would have to play alabama would have to play you know another team florida georgia and they'd have six ranked teams and by the end of the year you're looking at this lsu team like you guys are a nine, ten 10 win team and you feel better than that and it's like I, I personally as much as i've loved some of those games i've loved you know the old game in 20, uh, like the 10-7 game in like 2014 that they upset Ole Miss, or one of the four, like the, the shoe game or whatever. I would much rather an average to above average LSU team be looked at as an eight, nine win team, as opposed to fighting for their lives and being dumped on. When we watch these other teams, like previously, you know, Oklahoma, Ohio State, getting to play, you know, the bottom feeders of their conference, and I'm sitting here going, Okay, so we have four ranked teams in a row. How does this benefit us? Because right. if you lose two, you're done. You know what I'm saying? Like, and they could lose one, which is impossible. You know, and, and and suddenly they're still in. So, I just as a fan, as a person who wants my team to succeed, yeah, get those rivalries out of here. I don't want to play Alabama. <laughs> like, who cares? I, yeah.
0: Okay. So, so that's that's what I think is interesting, and I, I think, and I'm not. I think there are plenty of people who don't want to see their second and third rivalry go away. And when we say go away, we just mean not happening on an annual basis. Yeah. It's going to be two-year stretches where something like that wouldn't happen, and that's that's a, a really tough thing to stomach because, I, and this is where I'm I'm admittedly on the outside looking in. Mm-hmm. I didn't necessarily grow up in the same way that Marler did, where Marler's talking about Piedmont Park and he's talking about how much he loves Georgia Auburn. Like I didn't grow up with it in the same sort of way with these these childhood nostalgia things associated with that. So for me, I hear okay, well they're still going to play every like third year, and then they'll have year three and four they'll have the home and home, mm-hmm. and I'm thinking to myself, well there's still going to be build up to these rivalries, and they're still going to Happen. It's not like they're going to be taken off the schedule completely, and if that's the sacrifice to pay uh, for, for having, you know, everybody in the conference play each other mm-hmm. during a four-year stretch, then, then for me, that's okay. In both of these models, that's what I like about that. I think that's a win. I don't necessarily think it's an end-all be-all in the same way that some might, and that's where I differ. So there's another part of this, and there's a reason that I brought why I brought up A&M. Mm-hmm. The Texas, Texas A&M angle. If 3-6 happens, those two teams are all but guaranteed to be one of each other's three permanent games. Yeah. I, I think we can all kind of agree on that. But there's a world in which 1-7 happens, and A&M and, and Texas are in the SEC and not playing on an annual basis. And I, I've seen Andy Staples talk about that, I've seen others be like, that's just absurd. That's why 1-7 shouldn't happen. To me though, because the, the assumption is that Texas would play against Oklahoma and then you know I, that, that would take precedent and, and you would have probably LSU AM and like we just talked about. Right. Okay, I, I hate that. <laughs> for, for what it's worth, I think that's stupid. That, that seems really stupid considering those teams played every year for a century. And even as teams in the same conference, they're gonna not play every year, like that would suck. I've got a solution, though. Oh, boy. I've got a solution to make sure that they play every year, Mm -hmm. no matter what, regardless of if we're doing 1-7 or if we're doing 3-6. Take a page out of UNC Wake Forest. Okay. Thinking to yourself, what what are you talking about? Football? We still on football? We're talking about? Yeah. (laughs) Two programs in the same state did not like the fact that the ACC scheduling and the way that it broke down, they went essentially like five years without playing each other because they weren't in the same division. Right. So what did they do? They scheduled each other for a non-conference game last year. Non-conference game. (laughs) It was so weird. They're like, wait, okay, we've got UNC and and Wake Forest. But remember, it doesn't count in the conference standings this year. I love that. I had to remind myself like three or four different times. There is absolutely nothing stopping A&M and Texas from doing the exact same thing. They could schedule non-conference matchups for all of those years that they aren't scheduled to play, which, again, I repeat, they will still be scheduled to play if 1-7 happens, Okay, There will just be two-year stretches where they're not scheduled to play. But remember, Texas has been playing the nine-game conference schedule. So if they're moving to the the 1-7 with an eight-game conference schedule, Mm -hmm. there's an opening. There's just by default an opening. A&M could face Texas those first two years in 2025 and 2026. And then after that, AM has at least one opening every year in their non conference schedule to make that happen. So they would not need to even cancel a single non conference matchup. If those two teams are actually serious about playing each other, which I've listened to Ross Bjork, I've seen and <laughs> Castel- Del Conti talk about this, and they're like, hey, we're going to get each other on the schedule, but yeah, it's just not lining up, whatever. This game of chicken has gone on too long. Yeah. Play every year, schedule does a non-conference game regardless of what happens with this scheduling model if the 3-6 does not happen. I don't want to see any of this back and forth. You've got the tools in place to make it happen. Do it.
1: Okay. Well hold on but they see the thing about them and I don't feel sorry for them at all is because they haven't played since 2011. So if they wanted to play each other, they could have put that crap on the schedule 10 years ago and they could have done exactly what you're talking about. But if it's up to them they're not going to do it and that's fine because at the end of the day A and do you know they were hesitant at the beginning oh I don't want all this all these Texas guys coming in here with all their money because we're the Texas team with all the money. So at the end of the day, I'm not worried about either of those teams because they've been staring at each other from across the middle school dance for over a decade and they can figure it out on their own time with this boy. (laughs) Yeah,
0: but in the beginning of that, there's hurt feelings and and like I I understand that to a certain extent and one doesn't want to give in because there's there's power dynamics at play there. I, I, I get mm. that. It's gotten to the point now where, okay, you're gonna be playing anyways.
1: Right? right? Yeah. It,
0: it, it, that Band-Aid's coming off. Yeah. So if you're going to be playing anyways, then why not try and do what you can to make sure that it is an annual game, uh, it can be a non-conference game. I promise you, fans will still go. That will still sell tickets if that's what you're worried oh, yeah. about. That would be incredible to be able to see that. And it'd be a unique little wrinkle with this matchup to kind of uh, you know bridge the gap between this this time in which they weren't in the same conference conference and they were at odds, it'd be a really cool way to see them kind of come back together and it would add some new juice to this rivalry and I would love to be able to see it. Oh yeah. So that's kind of a separate one-off thing with this whole scheduling model and all that because I've I've seen that thrown out there as a potential negative and I wanted to to make sure that that solution is on the table just so that people aren't thinking 1-7 means the death of A&M versus Texas on an annual basis. Mm -hmm. There's another underrated moving piece with this whole thing and why I brought it up with A&M and their non-conference scheduling. These non-conference schedules are absolutely packed. Mm -hmm. They are. I praised Bama, Florida, Georgia for doing away with the 2010s model, which was, uh, and Georgia, you know what, Georgia was really not guilty of it. It's it's more of like a Bama, Florida type thing of not really being willing to do the home and homes Mm -hmm. in non-conference play and just doing one non-conference matchup per year. Georgia has loaded up the schedule a big time, more than any SEC team, more than any team in all of college football with their future scheduling. Go pull up on FBS schedules right now and look at what Georgia's got the cooker for the latter half of the decade. It's unbelievable. But get this, Georgia from 2025 to 2031 has just two remaining available non-conference slots available, Okay, As in, they have four non-conference foes lined up in five of those seven years, from 2025 to 2031. And from 2026 to 2031, Georgia has at least three power five opponents in non-conference play. I mean, it's totally different than what we've seen from the last decade plus, really at any time before now. There's yeah. never been a time in which the schedules were that loaded. Why is that significant as we talk about these scheduling models? Because if you're going to be playing a 9 game conference schedule, you're going to have contracts broken. Yep teams are gonna have to eat at least some of that money if they can't rework these deals, which is by no means a given. Think about this if you're Mercer, right? Like <laughs> you could reschedule, sure. Like if, if they call you up and say, hey, you know, we're kind of overbooked now with this new nine game conference schedule. Sorry, can we move this to 2035? If you're Mercer, you can, get that check from Georgia because they're the ones who are breaching the contract. So you can pick up your seven figure deal, your $1.6 million, whatever it is. Mm -hmm. And then you can turn around and double dip, get a $1.6 million check from Clemson and go play a game on that day. And you've essentially doubled up. So there's really not a whole lot of incentive to bend over backwards on their part. And if the SEC teams are the one breaking the contract, they're the ones who are going to have to figure this all out. I was curious about this. So I looked it up from 2025 which is when Texas and Oklahoma would join the SEC. Of course, the new scheduling model would begin from 2025 to 2031. Here are all of the years in which, or the the amount of times in which uh, an SEC team has already four non-conference games lined up, right? Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Like non-conference schedules, Book. Yeah. yeah, Georgia's got five. Georgia's got five of those seasons. Arkansas has one. Florida has three. Kentucky's got two. Mississippi State's got two. Mizzou's got seven.
2: <laughs> <bucks>. <laughs>
1: Mizzou and Auburn are the two ads that are like, we will send these boys anywhere. You guys played a game in China. <laughs> we'll send yeah. these boys out there. We don't care.
0: <laughs> Maybe if you want to see your, uh, <laughs> your your kindergarten kids play against Mizzou one day, good luck. But uh, yeah. It, Get in line, all right.
1: Mizzou is Ole that Miss, buddy in the group chat who like has the invites already lined up for the boys' weekend. He's like, all right everybody, like pony up right now. It's like, buddy, this trip is happening in like three years. I'm not doing this right now. I am that guy. <laughs> 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 you know I'm exactly. Yeah.
0: Well it's obvious. Okay, Ole Miss has three of those seasons, South Carolina's got two, Texas AM's got one. Do some quick math. That's 26 contracts that might need to be ripped up for those non-conference games if the SEC is going to this nine-game conference schedule. On a side note, <clears throat> I hope something like this gets athletic directors to stop being like, hey, you know, wh- what should I do on this random day in June to show that I did something today at work? <laughs> what do I call up NC State and see if I can book a matchup for 20 years from now? Mm-hmm. Is potentially being overbooked a deal breaker for this entire scheduling model? Is it? No. But that's another headache that the majority of SEC teams would have to deal with if we're dealing with one scenario and not the other. So listening back to this, it probably sounds like I'm really, really pro one seven and very anti three six, which I'm not like, I just found myself getting a little bit frustrated with so many people who assume that 3-6 was the obvious, no doubt or choice, they're just thinking about like their own entertainment or like their favorite rivalries or something like that, which look, I I think it was also more fun to talk about the debate for the three annual opponents for each team as opposed to doing just the one. Mm -hmm. Just the one's pretty obvious, right? That's the other thing. I've seen some scheduling models for the 3-6. And some of these teams would be getting absolutely screwed. Yeah. They just would. Yeah. It's going to happen. And I, and I want to get away from that, because we have a chance to correct that. There's no debate that for the past decade plus, the SEC West has been far better than the SEC East. And if you don't believe that, or if you're offended by me saying that, then just go back to the fact that we have 12 of the last 13 SEC champions came from the West, mm-hmm. all right? And the one that didn't was 2017 Georgia, who then... Lost to Alabama in the national championship, <laughs> so it was avenged, Yeah. All right, and I realized it wasn't Bama that avenged lost because you know Auburn beat him in the SEC championship. You get the point. You get the point. I don't want to have teams who have legitimate gripes about their strength of schedule because that shouldn't be the case if we're reworking this entire model, right? We have a chance to get this right, we really do. I saw the pushback of, well, even if you get a super favorable draw with the three permanent teams, you're still gonna have a gauntlet waiting for you with the other six. Mm-hmm. And to that, I would say, all right, well, LSU fan, which would you rather face on an annual basis okay. if you're LSU? <laughs> Option A is Vandy, Mizzou, in South Carolina. Option B is Alabama, Georgia, and Ole Miss.
1: (laughs) What option do you want, Will? (laughs) You've already earned my take. I mean, if I'm guaranteed, that's the thing about Georgia loading up the schedule, right? It's like, if I'm guaranteed 2019 LSU, I'm taking option B. That's what Georgia's doing. They're like, we're going to be good for 10 years. We will bowl play anybody. Let's get these W's off. But knowing what I know now, I'm taking option A. Look,
0: you and everybody else listening to this, you're taking option A 100 times out of 100. Fans of that team, if, if if you're just dealt with the the gauntlet of those three permanent games you're just supposed to be like ah well you know what the conference is a gauntlet for everyone Mm -hmm. Uh, i guess we'll be okay no like by the way I, i don't know how this will happen but Arkansas will somehow get option B in this scenario. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It's going to happen, right? If
1: anybody's getting screwed by the SEC, it's Arkansas. It's It's always the same, like, three or four teams, dude. It's, like, them, Mizzou, like, Kentucky's always in there. (laughs) It's just, like, that's the tough thing is it's, like, I understand where these fans are coming from. And, like, honestly, it's not worth talking about because it's not going to happen. But, like, 2-6 would literally be perfect. Well, if we not do that, (laughs) uh You know, and,
0: well, because then you would have the, you wouldn't necessarily, so 2-6, you wouldn't necessarily have the, Um, the ability to rotate all of your... Like you wouldn't be able to play every SEC team in that in that stretch in that Oh,
1: so you would have to. I see what you're saying. Yeah, it's yeah, just that's, like that's and that's the point. Yeah, that, that's I what we're trying saying. to get to
0: with this model. And there there are some people, and I've seen the, the take as well. Like I don't care that Georgia isn't going to go to Texas A and M for the first time until 2024. There are people saying that. And it, look, I, I, I get it to a certain extent, but if you're going to be building a super conference, you need to actually be a conference. Yep. You need to actually play the teams within your conference. Yep. And I. I saw even some people saying, well, the the tougher teams should have the tougher schedule. I'm like Since when did this become the NFL? Mm -hmm. That's not the way this works at all. No, because then that's how you get teams
1: stuck in these weird situations, like Tennessee and like USC have been, where it's like, oh, we have this budget and stuff, to where we're gonna go out and like schedule Oklahoma, but we're not gonna actually bring the guys there that are willing to beat Oklahoma. And so it's like LSU is another great example. It's like, well, if we made all of our scheduling decisions based on 2019, and then have this team show up and lose, you can't. You college football, you can't predict unless it's like Georgia. Like they're pretty much the only team that I'm like, yeah, you're pretty well insulated with these five stars. be fine, but I don't even know, like I said, I don't know where LSU's going to be in two years. I don't know where Bama's going to be after saving. It's hard to predict anything more than a couple of years out just with the way this sport works, you know?
0: Somewhere, somebody's going to be watching that Arkansas and Cincinnati game and, and say, wow, cool, cool, Arkansas. Like, you got Cincinnati in the year after they went to the playoff. It's like, well, that matchup was set up like eight years ago. Right, I mean, exactly. Before, I think before they had Luke Fickle even on staff, that matchup was set up. Like, it's hard to predict. But mm-hmm. you can do certain things to make sure that that variance is not there from year to year, and I hope it's not. Like the SEC is going to be really difficult no matter what. I'm not. I'm not denying that. But at the same time, if we have a chance to 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 really make sure that this is as even as possible, then, then I'm for it. I, I really am. So. My whole point with all this and why we broke down all of these different things, because it felt like we went all over the place, is because there are so many moving pieces. The SEC has always approached this with the postseason in mind. And with the future of the postseason model very much in flux, Mm -hmm. that's why this is all over the place. Speaking of that. If the SEC somehow decides that it wants an all SEC playoff, uh, throw out everything I said about 1-7 because the regular season doesn't matter anymore and we'll have reverted back to 1997 with split split national championships. Trust me when I say that y'all don't want that. You just don't. You think you might (laughs) and that might be a fun thing for like a year or two. but. It it won't be. It absolutely won't be. We're going to be, we would be reverting back to to what we had previously with Ohio State running the table and Alabama running the table and then they just don't play like that. Yeah. What? No, that's not what we want to see. Um, But I also, at the same time, I I very much understand why Greg Sankey played that card and why that was leaked ahead of SEC meetings where you even had Greg Sankey quote tweeting Peter Burns talking (laughs) about the Ross Dellinger tweet, like he wants this out there. Trust me when I say Mm -hmm. that This, this stuff is messy. And I don't think anything is is imminent. I really don't. I wouldn't be surprised if we didn't get any clarity on this until after the season, which seems like a long time after it appeared there was going to be a real push for 3-6 to kind of be set in stone by the end of the week in Destin. But maybe, just maybe, some of those similar points were made to coaches and athletic directors about the potential 3-6 risk. And at the very least, they're going to think it over a little bit more until more pieces of the puzzle are in place.
1: Will, any other thoughts on that? I just want to say real quick, the thing that's the most frustrating about this is like, so remember you told that story about like, you know, one of your buddies growing up, that just like kind of couldn't figure it out. It's like, that's where Texas is right now. And it infuriates ah, me so Robbie, much. Yes. yes, because it's like, I don't know what I'm talking about. This big picture of scheduling everything. If in five years Texas is going to be what they have been for you know a lot most of their existence, and a wagon and a team that I don't want to see on my schedule, or if they're going to be the team that just consistently loses to Kansas. And it bothers me because they've taken these steps of like we spent all this money, we've like you know changed conferences, but at the same time it's like, well yeah, but our boosters are still insane. We're still fighting about this song. We're like doing all this. We're wasting all this time on this stuff, and it's like it's so frustrating when we're trying to kind of plan our lives around these new teams because Oklahoma is like they're the roommate that's like ready with the deposit like day one whatever and Texas is like I don't know man just give me a minute like I got this app I've been working on and it's like dude like okay like when's it going to come out like let's see it because we're, re- we're ripping up the carpet on everything that we're doing here we're trying to redo our whole schedule for this team and it's like we know you have lots of money that's super cool but like I need to figure out as an LSU fan like how scared to be in my schedule when I see the little cow like <laughs> I've like, been. I mean, that point now was just like okay dude so you've gotten everything you want you messed up the big 12 you got your own network now you're in the sec let's kind of see some progress to you let's set some accountability because if we're doing all this for a six win team it seems a little dumb it's all to say
0: first of all that cow is a dumb steer name
1: <laughs> yes.
0: texas is ryan howard Yes! Ryan Howard, you know, same thing. Yes! Yeah, Texas, you had Vince Young. <clears throat> Unbelievable. Yeah, Ryan, you got the job at corporate. You were in your mid-20s. I was in my mid-20s. I don't think I ever fully processed 9-11. <laughs>
1: You're right. <laughs>
0: but you know what? Sometimes you just end up working at a bowling alley with your hair dyed, and you got to get bailed out by Michael Scott for Michael Scott Paper Company. You know? Yeah. And for what it's worth, I'm not hating on people working at a bowling alley. Working at a bowling alley would be great. That's like... We're totally off the rails. That's, that would be like a great post, uh, like a retirement job to keep me busy. Yeah. Oh my gosh.
1: Working at a You'd be that <laughs> guy that they tell stories about, you'd like grow a mustache, there's <laughs> Cotter. Bull the perfect frame, there's lunch break. Oh um, <laughs>
0: anyway. The facial hair would get real creative if we, if we chose that path.
1: Anyway, so that's kind of what I'm saying here. It's like, I'm excited to play Oklahoma. I mean, that's the thing, it's like, Oklahoma is a cool team. LSU's not ever really struggled with them, so maybe I'll feel differently in a couple of years, but Texas is that one that's like, oh, you guys, and it's like they just cause problems everywhere. Like, I know I'm just kind of ranting now, but it's like, you guys are just not worth all this. Like, get your life together. Like, we'll talk about it, but I'm like doing all this math now for Texas. Yes. We
0: will have a, a lot more discussion probably about future SEC scheduling models, but I'm, I'm glad we were able to do this today. Because mm-hmm. it wouldn't have felt right doing that solo last week. I would've been like asking myself all these questions. Like, <laughs> who else should be answering these questions. It's right. got better perspective as, as a fan and somebody who's got some emotional interest in this for a specific team. So appreciate you, man. Um, of course, of course. Let's kick it to Josh Pate. Uh, Josh does great work over at 247, of course. We hit on a, a ton of different things. He said that he won the fight. I think I won the fight. I'll just let you all decide. So here is Josh Pate. (laughs) I'm now excited to be joined by a very special guest. It is our good friend, Josh Pate. Uh, Josh, I I thought about saying to open how's the off season treating you? But then I I worry that you would just kind of like hang up the zoom call and our friendship would be over. Um, because I said the word off season, which I realized like you're, you're getting really triggered. Just, just hearing me say that. So for this eight month period, whatever you want to call it, you are essentially Michigan and Ohio state fans during rivalry week, like Ohio state fans, they cross out the X anytime they want to use Anything involving an M word and then Michigan fans crossing out the O. Have you had to use like shock therapy to train yourself not to say the word off season or has this been
2: something that's been instilled in you since birth? Well, it has become a lifestyle. Let me turn my phone off. It has become a lifestyle. So I don't slip up hardly anymore, except I think last week we were on air. We were doing like a late kick live episode and it just came out about three fourths of the way. I got to off seat. And then I stopped myself and I had this moment on air where the rest of you might as well have just gone and taken a break and done something because I started to chastise myself (laughs) and I started to ridicule myself. And it was the kind of talk that, you know, like when you're in the shower and maybe you're weird like me, you just talk out your day and then you're brushing your teeth and you talk out your day, but no one's listening. I had one of those moments, but we just had the entire audience watching live. It was not my best moment. It was not my worst moment, but it was a moment. You're not paid state material anymore. No, I wasn't that day. I was Juco at best that day.
0: Oh my gosh. Well, I, I hate to hear that. I'm um, really, really sorry to hear that this eight month period is not going well for you. Um, I, I'm I'm just going to use that word as much as possible now. I think that's what we're going to do the rest, rest, rest of the interview. It's just see how this goes and see if I can get you upset. Uh, who's the winner of the offseason so far? And there are no wrong answers except for Nebraska.
2: So, look, you let's just go ahead and have it out about Nebraska. Okay. Let's do it. So, I, I am red in Shawshank, and you are a pre-escape Andy Dufresne. You're the dude who thinks hope is lost, and anyone who dares smile around here needs to be eradicated entirely from the planet. I, on the other hand, look at Nebraska, sweet, innocent, stroke them on the cheek, Nebraska, and I say, it is June. Why can't these people have some hope? These are, these are salt of the earth people. I selfishly would love for Nebraska to be good this year. I would love to be able to go to Lincoln to see that Oklahoma game in week three. They have to do things like beat Northwestern before that can happen. Mm-hmm. But I look around and I think to myself, to be more real about it, I think, okay, everyone knows they went three and nine. It's like someone feels the need to remind me every time I talk Nebraska. Well, you know, they went three and nine last year. Yeah, my internet works. My TV worked last year. Yeah. I saw them go three and nine. I just... I know they weren't blowout in fashion. And so I've seen the turnarounds happen before. I know I I created my own imaginary statistic called Bob plays, which is an acronym stands for bounce of ball plays where I can reasonably explain away these sorts of things. If I need to, to help prop up my argument, I just think about Nebraska. It's not that I need them to make the playoff or anything. All I have done is merely suggest, Hey, they could win seven games this year and people want to attack me. I just don't get it. And now I'm going to be honest. You've used the O word. You brought up Nebraska in the first 10 minutes. Mm -hmm. I feel attacked. That's the
0: point. The entire, the entire point of this interview was, was to make me the alpha. You, nobody, if if you're not watching this at at, at home on YouTube, whatever, and you're just listening to this, I am the one wearing the white t-shirt. Let the record show. Like I showed up ready to go in full paid state uniform here. I, I think that and so so I, I spent two and a half years in Nebraska. I, I went to all those all those home games. Uh, you know, I worked and, and communicated with all the the Nebraska faithful. I watched the narratives and, and all the off season chatter. I live in Orlando, so I've consumed a lot of Scott Frost stuff as well both <laughs> before, during, and after. Mm-hmm. I've read the Mike Bianchi column saying it was a mistake for him to go to Nebraska. Like I, I've seen this on all different sides. 0 thirteen against top twenty five opponents, man. That that is the thing that I keep continue to come back to with this Nebraska program. I don't care if you're up 14 points with five minutes left and you have and you have everything working. And I like Casey Thompson too. Like I'm a Casey Thompson believer. I would have liked to have seen him get maybe a little bit more of a chance at Texas. I realized the Quinn Ewers thing, whatever. But at the same time, you can give Scott Frost a 14-point advantage, five minutes left in the game. He's gonna find a way to blow it. And that's why he hasn't beat any of these good teams
2: yet. Okay, so this is the Bob stat that you're talking about. Talk your way out of this. Okay, so I'm, I'm raising my hand <laughs> politely and I've been called upon here. Beta. All right, so let's, let's just think ahead. Let's say that Scott Frost does nothing more than slightly improve this year. Okay. To where, yeah, he's still struggling against quote-unquote top 25 teams. The thing about Nebraska's schedule, as you well know, and as everyone who has looked at their schedule knows, they could theoretically go over against top 25 teams this year and still win seven games. That's, because true. that's the way the schedule lines up. So uh, did you know, what, what have I told you? What have I told you? You and I just agreed on Nebraska and you don't even know it.
0: Don't do that. Don't do that. No, 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 Because I didn't sign up for them beating every non-top 25 team as well. This whole you could be up 14 points against a team who's actually worth its weight and crap actually matters as well when you're playing Northwestern and you can't close out no matter who it is. And that's the problem that I continue to have is like you can you can tell me Mark Whipple is going to run this offense and he's going to do great things. I still would worry about Scott Frost in those last few minutes doing something ridiculously stupid. You can't trust them to, to be able to capitalize on those little things in special teams. I realize we're getting way too in the weeds here about Nebraska. <laughs> there are so many people listening to us being like, dude, get to the sec stuff. We will, I promise you. But I think we're just, we might just have to agree to disagree on this. I'll put, I'll put Nebraska ceiling at six wins just to spite you.
2: Okay. I'll, I'll take the over. If you'll give me six wins, <laughs> I'll take the over. because I think seven is the number, um, let me ride the fence to endear myself to Husker nation seven minimum. That's the phrase I'm looking for. Seven minimum. minimum.
0: Yeah. Okay. I, I'm saying six floor. You're saying, or I'm saying six ceiling. You're saying seventh floor.
2: Remember red hope is a good thing. <laughs> Maybe the best of things.
0: I was, I was going to go, if you're, if you're going to really talk about like who's winning the off season, like I think you can make a case yeah. Jimbo or Lincoln Riley, Marcus Freeman, Brian Kelly, um, I, I made the joke before we came on um, about like, hey, why don't you come on the pod and we can overanalyze some uh, some Saban quotes and see what he's warning us about. I don't think anybody would say that Saban is particularly dominant this off season. Um, we could listen to Saban say the words, "I really like the depth in our quarterback room," and we'd be like, "Wow, Saban is telling us that he's going to have the number one offense in college football." Uh, I think Saban just kind of messed up with the AM Jackson State stuff. If you watch the full seven minute answer, what he said at the, was at the very end of it. And I'm pretty sure all the cameras besides AL.com had left at that point. Jim Dunaway told me, yeah, as soon as Saban said that, you can see me looking around it to see if there are any cameras that, that are still there. And because once I saw that there was at least one camera there, I saw it was going to be a big deal. Saban sort of losing his bearings for a minute, that, that in itself
2: wasn't paid state material. Okay. So as soon as I saw the the quote, I thought it was one of those troll accounts. Or A lot of people have been hacked on Twitter lately. Like I I legitimately just thought someone who is a verified account had been hacked. So two hours go by before the footage starts surfacing. And I looked and I said, yeah, that's Nick Saban. Okay. Um, The next thing I thought is there is no way he knows a camera is rolling in this room. And so I, I got in touch with some folks at Alabama the next day, and they said, uh, no, he did not know. Now, now, he still takes full responsibility. Like he, As soon as he walked off the stage, he knew, man, I should have said that. So yeah. I think he went public and apologized the next day or whatever. But here's what I have experienced. I know you've been in these settings too, maybe with Saban, maybe with a myriad of other coaches. When you're in the closed setting, when you're in the speaking engagement circuit, not media days, but like the true – X season, I'm going to go talk to my fans and my boosters in a closed setting sort of deal. But coaches talk like that all the time. That's the kind of stuff they say. I remember a while back, there was like a signing day event at LSU. And Les Miles said, I guess we got a new rival in F and Alabama. And it's like that kind of stuff, if you've been in those settings, is ho-hum. But if someone happens to be rolling with an iJosh or a camera, man, it just, it lights the world on fire. And of course it was the perfect topic at the perfect time, but yeah, Sabin didn't win anything. I think Jimbo Fisher, I think Jimbo Fisher has done what Lincoln Riley should do. Hmm. Jimbo Fisher has embraced the heel persona. You see people don't want to like Jimbo Fisher and he said, screw it. I don't even care if you like me, my folks like me. Like all it's like Bret Hart circa 1997. If hmm. the folks in Canada like me, I don't care what someone in St. Paul, Minnesota thinks about me or, or, or Muscle Shoals, Alabama. Well, Jimbo's kind of the same way. The folks in college station revere him and the Aggie fan base is willing to go over the cliff for him. His roster is willing to do the same players are willing to go play for him. Does he really care what anyone else thinks? I think Lincoln Riley should be the same way. So Cal and no Cal, and I don't mean Northern. So you're either with us or I don't really care what you think. Um, I think Jimbo Fisher has won this thing. I did, a, I did a top five the other day of how I perceive the most powerful coaches in college football right now, which is far more than just your win-loss resume. I don't think Jimbo Fisher was in there until recently. I think this whole NIL mm-hmm. thing and portal thing and how much weight his voice seems to be carrying right now on the issue, on top of just the gold mine that potentially he's sitting on out there, I think he's one of the five most powerful coaches in the sport right now. Did Dabo move up in your rankings after you saw him hit a turnaround jumper? Yeah, so that's happened post-ranking, and he was already at two. Um, You know, if Nick Saban has a couple more hot mic moments and Dabo stays hot from, you know, 12, 14 feet, yeah, I think that could happen. That had Ray Allen game six vibes to me. I mean, pressure's on on Dabo, unlike Saban, knows the camera's rolling because as soon as it goes down, he knows where that camera is. That You know, Dabo does not seem to be quite as concerned about his public persona as the rest of the country can, seems to be concerned about his public persona. He seems to just be living it up right now. Yeah. Lars Anderson's book
0: does a really good job of of showing you who Dabo is, despite the fact that he, like it, Lars Anderson, like you said on this podcast last year, like didn't even interview Dabo before. just talked to uh, Tons of people who knew him well. And that's one thing you never have to worry about with Dabo is he is unapologetically himself. I think we still have the same questions about him and what the next decade looks like and him adapting to this world of college football where his his way, he's going to have to at some point make that fork in the road decision. And some would say it should have come two years ago with the way the transfer portal is heading. But I don't know that you could put Dabo at number two on that list if he's going to essentially be a quiet non-factor in the early part of the off season. See, I snuck it in there again for you with, with the transfer portal. Is, is he someone that like you, you now find yourself having more questions about than ever, because I definitely do. Yeah.
2: I think fork in the road is the best metaphor. Like I think they invented that whoever put the fork in the road, knew Dabo's 2022 season was coming at some point. Have we ever, I'm looking at a chalkboard right now. I don't know why I'm pretending to look off in the distance, but have (laughs) we, Have we ever had a coach who, who didn't inherit a title program? He built the thing himself using a pretty unique model. Let's be honest. And won two titles against the greatest coach in the history of ball at the absolute peak of his dynasty. And yet still said, well, we got questions about him still. It's such a unique situation to be in. But I do think if we think about the Clemson run under Dabo in terms of chapters, I think this is absolutely a new chapter. Now, the fact of the matter is they could go eight wins the rest of his duration there, and he's still got a heck of a legacy at Clemson. He's done things that, for all I know, no one else in the future of Clemson will ever do. But yeah, I think it's fair to have questions. I think if you injected some truth serum in him and were actually able to get him on the record, I think it's human nature for him to have questions himself about where they're going. I think he's got confidence. I don't have as much confidence in where they are right now as I bet he does. Like, I looked at it last year. And I thought that place feels stale to me. Talked to some folks close to the program. They said, you know, while they may not have gone that far, they, they kind of met me 40% of the way and said, we probably do need some fresh ideas. We probably do need some roster churn. This whole thing we tout all the time about ourselves, about how we never lose anyone. Maybe we do need some folks to move on and some, some new faces to come in here. Well, he didn't do that. And not only did he promote from within at both coordinator positions, I think his quote was something like, it didn't take me more than 10 seconds to figure this out. I I didn't like that personally. He knows his program better than I do, but yeah, I think we're absolutely at a point where I asked myself out loud the other day, this is the downside of not having a co-host. I just asked myself out loud, do I think in five years, Dabo has ascended to number one on that list because Saban has retired and he's also got Clemson back on track simultaneously. Or do I think that we've seen the peak of Debo Swinney and two is the highest he ever gets in five years from now? You know, he's not even in the top five. Who knows if he's at Clemson? I think this is that big a, a turning of the chapter sort of deal for Clemson right now.
0: It is a, is a fascinating year. And uh, I, I'm, I'm very eagerly awaiting kind of this, this next step of, of what this, this entire era could look like surrounding him. Whereas you go to certain other programs and you feel like, all right, we know what we're going to get. Arkansas. Oh, you're raising your hand. Uh, yes. yes, Josh, uh, you, you in the front row.
2: I have, I've just observed um, audibly lately that people talk over each other on these things all the time. So I just want to raise my hand. Not on <laughs> you're not on this show, mind you. Of course, not on this show, but just in general. So it's, it's something that's bugged me about the medium as of late. So I think that when we're talking in these terms, you think about it taking a season or multiple seasons for this to play out. Dude, I want, I want to give you a scenario right now. It's Monday, it's Labor Day, Monday night. Clemson and Georgia Tech play the standalone game that night. What if it's halftime of the Georgia Tech game and it's like nine to seven and their offense is bogged down again and it doesn't look any different than it was last year? And let's say they go into the second half and it's sloppy and, and they're plus two turnovers and they end up winning like 16 to 13 over Georgia Tech. I mean, if they lose, it's, it's catastrophic, but if they win even in an ugly fashion and DJ does not light the world on fire, he's like 13 for 27, one-to-one touchdown to INT ratio. Uh, they're horrible in the red zone. This stuff we're talking about, it, it's happening in week one. People are talking about change at the quarterback position, bringing club Nick week one. People are talking about, he has swung and missed totally. This is a disaster of a coordinator shift in week one. So Maybe they win 38 13 and it's no big deal. But dude, we never know what to expect in week one. This stuff could start playing out as soon as week won.
0: I like that take. That's very true because that, that carries over. It, like people haven't, people aren't going to all of a sudden be like, ah, you know what? You know, the offensive line was really bad. You know, true freshman starting running back. You know, it, no, 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 no. This carries over 100%. And in that spotlight, if people are just blasting the Clemson offense again, Yes. I, I think that, that, that change would absolutely come and it would come even quicker than the Kelly Bryant, Trevor Lawrence deal back oh, yeah. in 2018, where that was like first, first four games. I mean, they, they were going back and forth and it was really kind of a two quarterback system. I agree. I think they would make that change really, really early on. Um, I want to talk to Sam Pittman contract with you. It, If you didn't see the news, you're listening to this. If you didn't see the news uh, last week, Sam Pittman has a new deal, $5 million base salary. It's got all those incentives in there. Basically, if he wins seven games, he gets like a $250,000 raise and an extra year added to his deal, which runs through 2026. He cannot leave for any other SEC job. And it's still an incentive based buyout, 75% of the remaining contract or 50% if he's got a sub 500 record which could actually just be like 7.5 million if he's fired after 2023 which is kind of crazy to think about in this era of the of the eight figure buyout Josh I think when when we saw that um that he switched representation to Jimmy Sexton that, that Pittman, I think maybe there was this assumption, I, I know I definitely had it, that he was going to get like a Will Muschamp deal. And yeah. instead he gets like a Mark Stoops deal that looks like a, a win for all parties. Were, were you as high on, on a contract as I was?
2: Yeah, I think it's a blueprint. I don't know necessarily that every program is going to be in a position to carry that out because of how unique the situation is. But, you know, I think that all parties involved Observed recent history, i.e., Ed Orgeron. I think Orgeron is the perfect comparable data point in the market right now because Orgeron was equipped to be the head coach at one program and one program only. It, it fantastically worked in 2019, it bombed totally in 2020. It's not that Sam Pittman's track record has to play out like that, but in terms of fit, are, these are puzzle pieces now. And there's one place they interlock Sam Pittman interlocks with Arkansas and vice versa. I think everyone in the room understood that. And so I just think that there were some frank conversations, no matter who his representation was going to be. I think there were some frank conversations and they understood, look, I'm not threatening to go anywhere, but I also just had a great season. And Arkansas prints cash anyway. So they're saying, we're not about to penny pinch you. We're going to make you the highest paid coach in program history. But look, we're looking at our neighbors in the SEC West alone. One of them is paying $21 million for their guy to coach at UCF. One of them's paying 16 some odd million dollars for their guy to do who knows what, probably ride a fan boat around Lake train today. And we don't want to be there. We don't expect to be there. But who knows what the future holds. I think it is a great a mutual testament to both parties involved there. I just hope uh, for, for the sake of my appreciation for not lighting money on fire, that more programs are able to adopt this. It's just wild to me. And I remember thinking this at the time. This is not revisionist history. It is wild to me that anyone, Jimmy Sexton or otherwise, was able to get Will Muschamp that kind of buyout added into his contract when there's no leverage. Where's Will Muschamp going? Like where? He's already had a shot at Florida. South Carolina was not his first go around. So he's already had a shot. He got fired. He gets another shot at South Carolina. It's not like he's winning 10 or 11 games. He's not going anywhere. And yet they still got played. And LSU still got played with Ed Orgeron. There's no, there's no galaxy Wherein Ed Orgeron leaves LSU even after that title win in 2020. So I think everyone understands that at Arkansas, it's a really good deal. And now I think it's going to be popular to root for Sam Pittman in Arkansas. It's kind of an underdog story within their division anyway. But I think people want to see. I want to. I, I want to see that that contract get maximized in terms of its value, so that other people follow suit.
0: In general, I, I agree, and that that gets thrown out there a lot. I know Andy Staples is a big proponent of that. Of who are you actually negotiating against? I think for the most part, and especially in this Arkansas situation, like makes, makes sense. Definitely does. The only pushback that I would have to that, and I'm not even saying that Arkansas falls in this camp, but like Rich Rodriguez is one that comes to mind. Go back to when he is starting to take off at West Virginia. I'm not saying West Virginia could have put together all the money in the world to keep him, but if they had like gone real big with him, and in hindsight, like obviously like Rich Rodriguez flamed out of Michigan, but all of a sudden like West Virginia is like, well, oh, crap, Bama wants him. Michigan wants him. What if we had just been able to kind of do right by him and give him that deal that he just couldn't walk away from? I think those things, you can't look into the crystal ball and obviously see this, but it is kind of an interesting question of like, what can these buyouts become? Like I I was talking to our our mutual friend, Brad Crawford about this, not to brag, but Brad was my coworker before he was yours. So, you know, whatever Um, Brad was saying how, uh, how great it would be if, if all contracts were constructed like this, which in theory, like it, it makes sense, I, I think if you were dealing with coaches and not agents, you could sell them on the incentive based raise, the incentive based buyouts. But I think agents have tilted the market with all of these ten year guaranteed deals too much. So I, I think that Pittman's contract now is like two or three years too late to become the norm, at least across the board. Because now, if Mel Tucker's getting ten years guaranteed, I, I think that's that's just kind of the way that this is heading. So you got your hand raised. What,
2: how do you feel about this whole deal? So also there's this other baby elephant in the room that could become a giant elephant in time. No one knows where player compensation is going. Great point. I am, I am of the belief that the SEC, whoops, that the SEC or, or maybe the Big Ten and the SEC may be moving towards a world where they understand in order to make sure NIL doesn't burn the sport to the ground as we know it, we're going to need to get proactive like we should have 20 years ago. And we're about to sign these massive TV deals. The SEC already has the Big Ten is about to any millisecond now. And uh, those TV deals, for those unfamiliar, all you need to know is every member institution in those conferences will be cashing about a $100 million check per year just because they have an SEC helmet sticker on and, and that TV contract says so. So what I, and this is where it ties into coaching salaries. It has been for a while that universities and programs have felt free to spend exorbitant amounts of money on facilities and coaching salaries because they didn't want to turn massive profits, kind of like a shell game. It looks Mm -hmm. terrible if you're sitting on a profit that fat and your players aren't being paid. I don't care what your opinion on it is. Don't care what mine is. I'm just saying it looks bad if we're sitting there on a massive war chest of money and my fullback's not making a dime. So- what did we do? Well, we, we built waterfalls in our facilities and we pay coordinators $2 million a year and coaches $8 million a year. And we put all these buyout clauses in because it doesn't matter. We're like the federal government. We just print money and it doesn't really matter. There's no fiscal responsibility tied to it. Well, if there's a future where we know we're going to have, and I use this term loosely, a workforce that we may have to pay do we get a little more responsible on the spending side of things internally? And if this is becoming an NIL game on the recruiting end, and a lot more of our financial resources need to be dedicated to that, do we also stop investing or hiding so much of our financial assets in coaching salaries and facilities? And do we start concentrating it more towards the player pool? Those are just some things to think about when we're talking about how future salaries are constructed. No one knows. It's still foggy. So no one really knows how that turns out.
0: You don't know this, but Jay Billis is just in the front front pew, just at the Pate State Church, wherever it is. Just hands raised, like head down, just look, just feeling the gospel right now.
2: I look. I am. I know. I'm saying some things that Jay Billis says. Jay Billis and I are not necessarily. You're um, not at all <laughs> singing from the same hymnal on this, if you will. Because I think about it, and you can tell every time I talk about NIL or anything of that nature, I have trepidation in my voice. Bill has his shirt off and he's slicing his chest with a machete and he's just screaming into the jungle like the guy in Predator. We all remember what happened to him, by the way. I just think there are some folks who wave the flag of players' rights. I think their intentions are noble enough. But I think sometimes people wave that flag of player rights and and total free market, and they don't really understand what they're asking for. That's just what I get scared about. I'm not against players making money. In fact, almost no one has come out and said I don't want players to make money. Even though that's the Yeah, like everybody says they want players to make money. I don't know anyone on the record right now saying nope. They need to come here and just value that scholarship. That was an old school way of thinking. No one verbalizes that anymore. But what some people, myself included, do look at is, boy, I'm not necessarily the biggest fan of gymnastics, but I'd like for it to be around for as long as we can have it around. And if you really want to go free market, then let's talk about free market. If that's not a revenue generator in the free market, it dies. So how free market do you want to go with all this? That's all I ask.
0: Let's get a little weird you're a big storm chasing guy. What is, who is rather the best storm chasing team this year? Like the team that you can't take your eyes off of, but it's a natural disaster. And I see it with you leaning back right now. You're like, I'm so upset. I didn't come up with this as a segment because it was just sitting right there for you. And you
2: didn't have it. Look, I'll steal it. I don't care. <laughs> I, I love stealing things. In fact, the segment about Arkansas, I stole from Crawford. So you say, he came oh. on the show. I just stole it from him. No big deal. Um, I'm going to go Texas. There you go. And I think this is an easy answer. It's great storm chasing country, but I also think that however it goes at Texas this year, I think that is the most interesting program to watch easily among the majors. It's the most interesting program to watch because there, there are so many ingredients in the blender, but they haven't hit blend yet. They just threw a bunch of pieces in from the transfer portal and they took a bunch of pieces out. They've overturned something like 40% of their roster from last year to this year. And it's just, you've got the number one quarterback from two cycles ago in there. We think he's going to start. We got a couple of receivers from Alabama. Um, I don't think that they'll necessarily see the field as early as some do. Hmm. I'm just going to leave that there, but there are a lot of new pieces. Okay. A lot of new pieces there. Everyone thinks it's going to blend out into this perfect smoothie. Well, not everyone, a lot of people do. And I think there's still going to be some volatility there. That's going to be a team that when they're on, i.e. the first quarter of Red River last year, you look at them and you say, my goodness, Sark, not one, not two, not three. He's going to do the LeBron title count. But then you get to the second half of that same game. It's like, who, who hit the E-break? Are we going to score again? What's going to happen? So I think it's Texas, man. It could be, it could be a total boom or bust situation for them.
0: The smoothie. You're a big protein shake guy, I assume, right? Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. The, the smoothie is going to have some chunks in it, right? Oh Yeah. Like that's, that, that's, I think it's fair to say, especially from a defensive standpoint, like they're, they're not turning that around. year one, my choice would be Auburn. Now I, I, you could probably say this in most years. So I, I'm kind of defaulting here a little bit, but this is going to be wild. I, I think I, I'm going to make a little bit of a comp for you. I want to see where you stand on this. And I, I don't want to trigger Auburn fans by saying this when I covered Bo Pelini, I remember going into that final year, 2014, he had the cat stuff where he's holding out the cat at, at the oh, spring yeah. game. Yeah. Uh, unbelievable, like funny all time moment. He's doing the faux Pellini thing. He's playing into that. And it almost seemed like there was a perception change among the fan base that offseason. Like he was doing this speaking tour across the state. And I remember talking to fans about how he had sort of like won them over with, with some of his personality initiatives. But that was easy to say in May. And remember, it's the off season. I told you, I was going to say it as much, as much as I could. Um, when <laughs> for those who can't see, Josh is plugging his ears right now. When games happen, though, it's like, oh, that's right. <laughs> this is why we're not happy because we can't beat anyone who matters, and this guy is spiraling constantly. I think Harson has some. 2014 Bo Pelini vibes to him. I love what he's doing the off season, more active on social media. He's got the podcast that's ahead of yours right now. He's trying <laughs> to show the world.
2: Sure. <laughs> Finish your
0: question. Hurry up. <laughs> Uh, he's trying to show the world that he's not like, you know, the outsider that kids hate playing for, but the latter half of that schedule is just loaded. And I would still be worried about that quarterback room. Um, so I, I tried to sneak in like four different jabs at you there.
2: Do you think he he gets a year three? That's my question. So as I, as I bleed out of my ribs here, (laughs) let me me see how much into this answer I can get. I, I get the comparison, you know, I I watched, everybody watched what happened to him in January and February. I did not think he was going to be retained. It just felt like the energy had shifted so radically in the room. I didn't think he was going to be the head coach there. Well, he made it through um, because he had the stones to, A, not cut his vacation short, and B, say, um, I'm going to make you prove it. You know that, right? I'm not just going to let everyone assume what you're saying about me is right. So good for him. He stood up for himself, and he gets his second year there. I think he's done everything he can possibly do off the football field. Over the past few months, I made the suggestion, you know, when when he got this stuff sorted out, I remember there was like a a Monday or a Tuesday and he did like three or four shows. He did a a talk circuit like I haven't seen him do before. And I remember thinking to myself, dude, he he seems kind of natural at this. Why doesn't he do this more? Because normally the guys who avoid media hate it and they're not good. And they know that it's a weak side of them, of their uh, characteristics, personality. So he did it, and, and it seemed natural. I said, "Man, he should do that more." I think the Auburn folks realized that too, and the, and the folks that kind of run the PR side of things for him said, "You need to get out there because we know there's a portion, you know, over in the corner of this fan base and this donor class that is hell bent to get you out of here. That's not going to change. Yeah. But what we can do is we can at least." change the way that the 90 percent over here think about you now everyone knows including him it's ultimately going to come down to wins and losses and if he wins five games this fall it's not going to matter what i think he understands and what i think they're trying to effort right now is if they land in that seven to eight win range and it's like a 50 50 proposition whether he's going to remain as the head coach there for a third campaign what he's doing right now could tip the scales That's what they're trying to do, I think. They're not trying to salvage the five and seven aftermath. They know what that brings for them. And if you go nine and three, who cares? It's a point. But if they're seven and five, eight and four, I think they're trying to get a third season guaranteed in that sense. And also, you mentioned their schedule. I counted four games where I'm pretty sure they'll be favored. And then that's it. They got like Mercer, San Jose State, um, Missouri at home, and Western Kentucky. And outside of that, I don't know if they're going to be favored at Mississippi State. Even if they are, it's not like a big favorite situation. They could lose every other one of those games. And so that is a brutal schedule. It always is. I have no clue what quarterback is for them right now. I don't think they do either. I mean, if they had to announce their starter today, they would flip a coin, I think. Probably like a three-sided coin, to be honest with you. So I get the comparison with Pelini, but we know how his season ended. We just, we can't know with Harson yet. So it's kind of like we're in the middle of the book.
0: I've got a proposal for you. Have you come out yet and uh, predicted Tennessee to upset Georgia? Or was it Tennessee-Bama that you were talking yourself into?
2: Well, what I said was I had a a viewer who predicted Tennessee's going to be undefeated going into that game. Okay. And the way it happens here is we put on the lower third the prediction, but we don't put who said it. And so when we clip it halfway through the segment, all you see on Twitter is me talking. And then the lower third says prediction. Tennessee undefeated when they play Bama. Tennessee potentially upsets Bama. So, yeah, it's gotten out there into the CFB ether that I have predicted it, but I have not quite yet. Okay, so
0: this is like when I was a little bit nervous to do karaoke for the first time when we were at SEC Media Days this past year. So I had my guy Ty Richardson, who you know well. Uh, I I had him do friends in low places with me. And I I was, you know, I'm a little bit nervous right now to say that I think Tennessee upsets Georgia this year. But I feel like if you can get on board with that, we can just take on all the haters together. We'll get up on stage. We'll do Garth and we'll
2: do it right. Did you hit the lowest point? Like, and I'll be okay. Can you do that? Yeah. It's easier to go for the low than to go for the
0: high all day. Like, Really? Yeah. Yeah. Because you can just get to a certain place with the mic where it just kind of sounds a little bit better and you could just kind of muffle it more. Whereas if you're going for the high, you've really got to pull it away. Watch people in concert when they go for the high notes, they'll slowly oh, yeah. start to pull the mic away as well. But I, I wasn't even willing to do that, but low notes. Yeah, we can hit those.
2: I'm thinking Janet Jackson back portion of her career. Saw that many yeah. times big Janet got here. Yeah. So um, I'm going to need you to do me a favor and restate the question. I forgot it entirely. Okay. Um, Tennessee
0: upsetting Georgia. I think I'm talking myself into it. I left Georgia out of my playoff. I've already got my, my playoff picked out. I I, I have debated, do I want to have Georgia at 12 and 0 in the regular season, despite the fact that like they could be a double digit favorite for every single regular season game. They like have. FSU 2014 kind of vibe. Yes. Very, very similar where you're just kind of like, ah, I don't know. And we're going to have these debates constantly going into the playoff rankings. And we're going to be like, how good is Georgia really? We don't really know. And I, I do wonder about that, and I have wondered, will they have that one slip up? Because th- that's that that's a really difficult thing to, to carry into throughout an entire post-championship season, as we saw with FSU in 2014, where it just kind of felt like they were playing with fire. So I'm asking you if you want to get on board that take with me. Otherwise, I might
2: just have to do it solo. Well, I here's what I will say. That game's in Athens, correct? That game's in Athens, yeah. Okay, I think that the opposite of what people believe is true is actually true here. I think these teams, like the big teams, Georgia, for example, here, coming off a title season, I think they're more vulnerable at home than they are on the road. (laughs) I think those teams get locked in on the road, dude. But at home, I think they're more vulnerable. So, if I will say the highest percentage chance of them being upset this year, I do believe, is the Tennessee game. Um, hold on. I am looking at my phone. It's June 6th. I'm not ready to say it yet. Okay. Cause it's That's June funny. 6th. Um, I still got fences to ride at this time of the season, but yep. as we get closer, I can see it
0: at this time of the season. I see what you did there. I see, I see the word you avoided. Um, okay. I've got, uh, got, uh,
2: got director Colin over here who for all intents and purposes, the audience thinks doesn't exist, but he heard me talking Tennessee. And since it's not our show, he's allowed to exist. So there he is <laughs> over there. He's, he's sitting there behind you like, hey, save this.
0: Don't, do, do not come out with this on, on our airways." I like, get how that works. Yeah, yeah, no,
2: no, we can't have that.
0: I understand that. I understand that. Um, last one for you. When, when is the, uh, the Haynes deal
2: coming in for you? Is that, is that imminent? Are you in talks? Okay. This I've never used this word publicly. I am vexed by this. Terribly vexed. We have a partnership with uh, Academy. They don't sponsor this show. Oh, you it. do? I've, I've never heard that before. No, no. Uh, but it, <laughs> little known fact, Academy has a small role, very small role on uh, Lake Kick. But I, think about how natural this is. I wear the same white T-shirt every show. How in the world an apparel company has not come to us and said, hey, here's a check just make that our t-shirt. I I would dive into that. We turn down advertising potential all the time uh, because I have a right of first refusal on it. And I don't want my show to look like a NASCAR. But also I want it to be natural because I don't want to do like boilerplate ad reads. I I hate listening to that. I don't want to do it. And since they pay me a salary around here, I'm not dependent on ad money. So I only take the ones that we want. I will openly... I will get down on my hands and knees in front of an apparel company. That's how bad I want an apparel company on board. And I am willing to absolutely trash their competition publicly. I'll do it. I, they say that some men don't have a price. I do. I'm for sale, for sale. You Might as well put it on. There's plenty of room here on the forehead. I'll just put it on my forehead.
0: Okay. I've got two propo- two quick proposals for you. One is cuts. Are, are you aware of cuts? Have you been targeted
2: by them? Have you seen what they're about? I have <sighs> I've heard of them. I have not used their product as of yet, but I'm open to it. Fantastic product. You can wear your white tees. They have the highest quality t-shirt like on the market.
0: It's fantastic I I just shout out to my brother, got me a gift card like back, you know, Christmas or something like that. I can't remember when it was. Basic tees, you can stick with the brand, but it just cuts clothing. And that way, you can wear your basic white tee, or you can mix it up if you want to bring a little color in. If you want to go blue, you're feeling frisky one day, and you can have that. So that's a potential. I'm just saying, if they if they call you, don't exactly turn them down. They've got some good things that I think that would be in your wheelhouse. Is this cuts with an S or cuts with a Z with with a C or with an S with an S. Cuts clothing, so it starts with a C. Cuts clothing. Yeah, so but it's, it's great stuff. Okay. Yeah, it's legit. Definitely legit. Um, the other proposal I have for you, this is a little bit further out there. If Joe Moorhead wins a new year's six bowl at Akron in his ne- in his next three years, can you become a full-time winter jacket guy to rep
2: the zips? Like with, with, a zip up, it could be like a starter jacket or something. Oh, wow. Well, this, this scenario has already been on the tip of my tongue, you know, if yeah. in the new year's six bowl game in the next three years. I just didn't know that this was the route we were going to go. Uh, but since I was already planning on talking about it anyway, short answer. Yeah. Why not? That's all I needed that's it I don't, I don't think I mean I know we're supposed to have eight other bowling pins but I think these two equal a strike for us Perfect all right what if both, what if both happen that's that's kind of my that's kind of my black hole perfect storm there You just rotate you, you wear the jacket once you could even do something like
0: where it's a it's a reveal where you have the jacket on for the first part of the mm-hmm. show and then you go with the, the cut shirt underneath whatever you know what? I'm here to be able to kind of make your life a little bit easier. When that decision, that time comes, just give me a call and we'll we'll, we'll make it happen. I know Joe would be fully on board with that as well. If you were like in his corner, Joe Joe does well to the guys who are in
2: his corner, me being one of them. Um, So he would be all over that. Trust me when I say that. Not to brag now, not to brag at all on your part. I'm speaking for you now, but yeah, um, I don't know how to say this. I'm kind of in some guy's corners, if you know what I mean. Oh, interesting. Okay, all right. We'll leave it at that. We'll take that. We'll take that conversation off
0: here. Josh, this has been uh, this has been awesome, man. Really, really appreciate the time. Uh, Late kick live, great, great stuff. YouTube, podcasts, wherever. Josh is all over the place. The internet, you know where to find him. Josh Bates.
1: How about this one? I call it bold and
2: Bright. More like belongs in the trash.
0: <laughs> Sorry, I must have missed that one. All right, Bold and Brash, Arch Manning Edition. Arch is, uh, he's taking these official visits. He's at Georgia over the weekend, Texas and Alabama, kind of making this a a three-team race, it feels like at this point. Mm -hmm. He had talked about those, those there's gonna be the teams that get his official visits. I'm sure other teams will be kind of in the mix as well. some surprise to what the initial timeline was going to be with his recruitment. The fact that it's gone past spring, the original thought from many, including Jeff Duncan on this, this year podcast was that Arch was going to be really early with making a verbal commitment um, early in, you know, the 2022 calendar year. And he's actually going to wind up being really late by elite quarterback standards. 19 of the top 25 quarterbacks in the 2023 class are verbally committed somewhere which that includes Eli Holstein who's ver- verbally committed to Bama and some kind of took that when he committed a couple weeks ago as this sign that Bama was out of it and it was down to Georgia and Texas. And I should think that's really more about Bama recognizing that they're, they're going to lose Bryce Young this offseason, very mm-hmm. likely, and they <coughs> only would have two other scholarship quarterbacks on board. So why not continue to recruit this guy that they really like and hope that it doesn't make the difference in like the Arch Manning sweepstakes, which it shouldn't. Because if, I, if I'm if i Arch, I'm not looking at that as a negative because for the number one recruit in the country, you shouldn't look at it as, well, my path to playing time just got tougher right. because they have this guy who's lower rated in my same class. If he's going to start in year one or year two, he's beating out multiple blue chip recruits. And at least one of those recruits is going to be older than he is probably. That's the way this often sets up. And The other part to this that needs to be remembered if there's people saying, well, he absolutely wouldn't go to a place like Alabama that's got another quarterback verbally committed, you're not locked into saying anywhere if you don't win the starting job in year two, if you're a blue chip quarterback. Mm -hmm. Uh, You can hit the portal, you can make a crap ton of money elsewhere and play immediately. So, like, you know, the Quinn Ewers thing, the way that that's set (laughs) up with Ohio State, it's like, Yeah, it worked out pretty well for him. worked out pretty well. So I actually think it's kind of an outdated take to assume that nobody signs multiple elite quarterbacks in a class. I I think that's going to start to happen a little bit more and we'll be like, oh, hey, because you could just transfer out and then make a ton of money. Why wouldn't you do something like that? So obviously, Arch Manning is not making a college commitment thinking about his transfer options, but it's sort of an out if he thinks that maybe Bama checks every other box. Right. Right. I think it would be such a play the results thing if, if Arch committed to Alabama and then everybody was like, see when Nick Saban was speaking in Birmingham and he called out A and M, he was really just getting local businesses owner local business owners to to start spending more and and that led to them getting Arch. That that take would come. Be, be ready for that. That would absolutely happen. Mm-hmm. So do I do I think he's going to wind up at Bama? Probably not. I'm not definitively saying no, but probably not. Which, I mean, if you think about it on the surface, like that sounds insane because you've got three consecutive quarterbacks who finished in the top three in the Heisman voting. It's essentially what Oklahoma did. I mean, that that's not even including Jalen Hurts who did that at Oklahoma, mm-hmm. but I also don't think, and again, this isn't like inside knowledge or anything like that. This is just a just a guess based on the way that he's approached this entire recruiting process. I don't think Arch wants to go to a situation where his play caller could change after he's committed right. or while he's there in year one. Yeah, there, There's risk associated with that. And Again, that kind of contradicts the point I just made. If his OC leaves, he could just transfer out. In theory, I get that, but like, do we think that Bill O'Brien is staying at Bama through the 2025 season? <laughs>
1: I mean, yeah. I just wouldn't commit to a place for my OC is Bill O'Brien. Period. I think that's the worst you case are, scenario. To be such honest. A all, all
0: the guy did was lead a, a top seven offense in college football and have the Heisman <laughs> Trophy winning quarterback. No big deal. No, no big deal. listen, I'm just brothers.
1: saying. If you watch Bryce Young play in your are you think that's the style I want to play. Where you're just like, my offensive line has betrayed me, and I am now down two receivers. Like, I'm not. You know what I'm saying? Like, Bryce Young is amazing, 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 amazing. Like we talked about. Like, I haven't been more on him than any male quarterback, but. To say he's had it easy, I think it's been pretty untrue.
0: Okay, how much of that is on Bill O'Brien? How much of that is on an offensive line that just can't block?
1: That's true, and that offensive line coach is now in the New Orleans Saints. So there you go. <laughs> that might have fixed it, itself, actually. Now that I think about yep. that. Yep. So my gut says,
0: if if I'm picking today, uh, just a guess, and this—that's all this it is—it's a guess. Right. Would would be Texas and it wouldn't be Georgia or Alabama. Mm-hmm. That's like my, I guess my bold prediction. Because I, I think he likes Sark. That's yeah. based on based on things that I've read, based on like, you know, the things that you see from those visits and all those different things. I think he likes Sark and his offense and what he's been able to do with it. Because obviously part of the Sark argument is, is what he did at Bama and what he did with Tua and what he did with Mac Jones. It, it kind of sets up well too, for Arch to back up Quinn Ewers, who is two classes ahead of him right. now. And then Arch would theoretically get to start as a sophomore. He would have the inside track to do that. I I wonder with Georgia too because we're going to get to the Georgia stuff as well in the Facebook group because there there are people who have who think that Arch is going to Georgia. We'll we'll definitely touch on that <laughs> in this Facebook group. Really? <laughs>
1: and by, and by the way, like
0: I, I will first, let, let me just be on record first and say it. I, I am not dismissing the possibility that Kirby Smart recruits another five-star quarterback. Oh, for yeah. sure. Yeah.
1: <laughs> honestly, I, I think that's the best destination for him. Like, you, you look at kind of like where they're at right now the fact that they just went title of Stetson. It's like, imagine if they had that team with Arch Manning, that team would be yeah. just ripping, picking dudes up and throwing them sideways and like, send them to the NFL at that point because they'll be unstoppable. Yeah.
0: If you told me that Kirby Smart got five of, he got like, uh, no, no, okay. That's too many. If you told me that Kirby Smart got three five-star quarterbacks in the same class, (laughs) I'd be like, eh, I guess he found a way. (laughs) Just kind of what he does. All right. Despite the fact that the track record, not great. I do wonder though with with Arch, if there's something about Georgia not having a top 40 passing offense in the post Aaron Murray era, Mm -hmm. also lacking the quarterback drafted in the first four rounds of the post Matthew Stafford era. I wonder if Georgia's got a little bit of a tougher path in terms of kind of writing some of those wrongs. You know what people that kind of need to talk more about though? Carson Beck and Brock Vandegrift have four years of eligibility. Jeez. Up. Because remember, 2020 did not count against Carson Beck. Yeah. Up. So let's let's not let's not t- dismiss the significance of that. That's going into this season. So like. You know, those dudes are, are probably going to be around. It, one of them didn't transfer out post-spring or something like that. That's not even including Gunnar Stockton, which I realize you're going to have to beat someone of Gunnar Stockton's caliber probably, but, you know, by the time that you're actually there. So that, I guess that's part of it. But, like, I don't know, like, Carson Beck, Brock Vandegrift, they're going to have multiple years in Todd Munkin's offense mm-hmm. more by the time that Arch gets there. And with all that eligibility, I, I just kind of wonder if that if that – plays a part in this at all. Even if one of them transfers, which like that's still a big unknown, especially with Kirby, who has had more <laughs> five-star quarterbacks transfer out of Georgia than any other program has had enter their program since yep. 2016. Um, you know, like you still don't know if you're Arch, if you're gonna be given the fast track to play because it's it's Kirby. <laughs> he doesn't care about five-star, right? Like he just doesn't. When it comes to actual playing time, it's very different than the recruiting process that's been well documented. So. That's my long-winded way of saying, I think Arch ends up at Texas. And then here's the fun part. Mm-hmm. I think we're going to get to debate when he comes to the SEC. Can you imagine how incredible that would be if Texas did not come to the SEC until 2025? Mm-hmm. Okay. It would be Arch's pre-draft season. He would be able to play the against the teams that he, he spurned, right. right? I mean, it would just be tons of like, There'd be four different SEC fan bases who would be like, oh, we got to get up for this one. This is going to have a different kind of, uh, you know, uh, of animosity in this one. But, Mm -hmm. you know, obviously only to a certain extent, it's not like he necessarily like transferred out of one of those programs or something. We're not talking about like an Eric Gilbert situation, even or anything like that, but it would be unbelievable theater. It, It really would. He could be the most scrutinized quarterback in the history of college football by that point. I mean that that is all within the realm of possibility with the NIL money that he's going to covet. It would just be incredible. It really would. So that's kind of where I lean right now. Will, I didn't mention LSU in Florida just because it sounds like this decision will be made before the start of the season. I'm not sure how a first year coach who like hasn't coached a game yet at their respective program is going to be able to kind of make up that ground, show what their offensive identity is going to be. Do you have any
1: sort of tiny little sliver of hope left? That Arch ends up at LSU? No, the Mannings hate Louisiana. They always have. Um, it's fine. I mean, they've had I mean they've had <laughs> what, how many opportunities, you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. okay. What, what am I supposed to say? Oh, now suddenly they love Louisiana. They all grew up in New Orleans and have like roots there, but they just move out as soon as they can. So it's whatever. And like, same thing. It's like, what is he gonna commit to Coach O? I never saw that. And then Brian Kelly's there, and it's like, yeah, I mean, I don't know. I mean, I wouldn't do that either. if I The thing about him is like, I mean, he's almost, I mean, like, okay, we've never, this is very common in basketball, but we've really never seen it in football. It's like, here's a guy that maybe we have, I don't know, but it's like, here's a guy that almost regardless of his college performance is going to be like guaranteed pretty much top five. You know what I'm saying? Like he is a guy that you could pretty much say, okay, it doesn't matter if he looks bad in this system, you're gonna blame the system every single time. And so to that point, it's like, I think that's why the Texas pick makes a lot of sense. Cause it's like, he can just go over there and chill, just do whatever he wants. Like Sark is cool with him. He's not gonna make him, you know, beat out whatever random guy. It's like, hey, I'm here for a couple years. I'm gonna get out of here. Whereas like you said, like Bama and Georgia it's like, I gotta fight my butt off to get here and get all these negatives. So point being, point being, it's like, this is, this is the most like, pr- I mean, Feels like the most pro-ready guy we've almost ever seen come out from the quarterback position.
0: Wait a minute, wait a minute. Let's back up. Let's back up for a second. So you think that he goes? See, I, I think there's something to be said against that for for Texas okay. on how being kind of, and we'll wait and see how the Quinn Ewers thing plays out. Mm-hmm. But there's something to be said for being the best Texas quarterback since Vince Young. Yeah, and how bright that spotlight would be. I mean, wherever he goes, obviously. The spotlight is going to be extremely bright. I mean, he he is going to sort of defy program brand or anything like that. He he can go to Virginia, and I promise you the coverage on him would be (laughs) off the charts. It just would be. That's the way that this is all setting up. I don't think if he goes to Texas, it's just get your numbers, get to the NFL, have a great time. Mm -hmm. Don't worry about quarterback battles. You got this. I think he'd still be very, very much like, hey, you've got to win this job in camp. You've got to be able to, you know, you've got to be ready for the SEC, you know, when that time comes. There would still be probably a lot of those narratives. Obviously, like Texas is still, of course, a pressure cooker with a very desperate fan base who is, at this point, mm-hmm. whatever they can get at the quarterback position, they're, they're going to watch when this Quinn Evers thing takes off a little bit right and watch how much people are really really hyping him up because that's that's what it's going to take at this point and I think there could be some of that with Arch as well
1: um, yeah, I mean, but that's what he would be pitching, right? I mean, Sark, he'd be like, hey, like, if you go to Georgia, if you go to Alabama, you're going to have to fit these systems. You're going to have to, you know, really, like, be one of the guys. Whereas in Texas, it's like you could get these massive NIL. Not that they couldn't get an NIL to those other places. I understand that. But it's like you could truly be the king of Texas, do the Texas for everything. I mean, it would Texas, obviously, is not in the national championship conversation every year. They're just not. So if you could win 10 games at Texas and be the man, then it would be, like you said, I mean, as good as Ellinger was, uh, I think he retires as a Texas legend and won one New Year's Six bowl game. You know what I'm saying? Like, I think that the light the, at this point, I think that the amount of pressure for a Texas quarterback is so much lower than Alabama or Georgia, who now Georgia has a national title. Before that, they were like the team that couldn't get there with Alabama. It's like Bryce Young just won the Heisman and like they've had these great quarterbacks and championship quarterbacks. It's like, whereas at Texas, it's like, that's if I was Sark, that's all I'd sell them. It's like, hey, you can come down here and have some fun. I'm a great offensive mind. I'll make you look great. I'll make your numbers great. But he doesn't have to play, you know, all these different great teams the entire time there and be the best quarterback in college football and to go high. Because at this point, it feels like the Mannings are much more NFL-focused than college-focused anyway, in my opinion. Until 2025. Right. No, it's a long time. (laughs) It's a long time. But I'm saying, like, his legacy, like, there's a lot of guys where it's like, like, Burrow needed to win all that crap to go number one overall. All he has to do is just not fall off the face of the earth or get in a fight with a coach. You know what I'm saying?
0: Yeah, I mean... Yeah, because the, the pushback is—it's nothing is ever guaranteed, and quarterbacks are scrutinized in such an unbelievable way that it's—it's. It's you know, you can really do a deep dive in terms of the way too early projections and how quickly those things can fall off. And then, of course, we've seen the Trevor Lawrences, the Andrew Lux, the guy who are the guys who are so highly regarded during college, mm-hmm. and it's like, okay, we know they're gonna be number one overall. Their tools are so good. It's not gonna be really dependent on the numbers as much. So I, 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 get, I get what you're saying from that standpoint. Yeah, uh, I'm very much looking forward to what we got in
1: yeah. the Facebook group here. Because
0: I think we got predictions that are all over the place. Yeah. So the questions I asked, Uh, What school does he pick? Uh, What does his college career look like? And what do his NIL earnings look like? (laughs) We're we're gonna try and keep this, uh, we're gonna try and keep this uh, between the guardrails here, talking about a 17 year old kid. Yeah. I realize that's that's part of this. Okay, uh, Jace Walden says, Georgia, like a pirate had a baby with an angel.
1: (laughs) (laughs) That's between the rails. Sorry, you can start over. I was pre- mentally prepared for the rails and we're already off them. Okay. <laughs> yes, we are.
0: Yes, we are. Uh, enough to buy many leather bound books and an apartment that smells of rich mahogany. <laughs> you know, these these kids, Gen Z, man, they're all about the rich mahogany. They really are.
1: <laughs> so his, hold on. Um, so his college career looked like a pirate had a baby with an angel. That was the answer to a question. <laughs>
0: I don't know where to go with that. Cool, yeah. I, I, I'm just gonna leave that there. Jace, that that's what we're looking for. That's that's short and sweet. 10-10. Cor, uh, Corey Puckett says, uh, Texas, Texas, Texas. Remember, that's for all the questions that we asked. What school does he <laughs> Texas. What does his college career look like? Texas. What do his NIL earnings look like? Texas.
1: Okay. And he yep. has an Oklahoma profile picture and Baker Mayfield is back. So he's prepared for that Arch Vanning work coming his way. That's pretty good. That's pretty good. Um, Michael Dark
0: says, on early signing day, Arch decides to do an old school press conference on ESPN with four hats on the table. He'll pick up a Tennessee hat and begin laughing uncontrollably <laughs> before throwing it in a Butch Jones era turnover trash can. That's incredible. Then he pretends to pick up the hat of each finalist, Georgia, Texas, and Alabama. He finally takes his hands off the hats and reveals his Jackson State shirt under his button down. He'll explain that NIL really wasn't a deciding factor and his favorite football player of all time is Dion. It's
1: like one of those Dr. Ubar memes. Look. You want to be the leader of Jackson State?
0: I, I've said I'm not rooting for any specific scenario with Arch Manning. I'm rooting for that scenario. Yes. We need that. <laughs> oh, man. Um, all right. Let's go to... We're going to try and get some people that we haven't had on as much. Um, let's go to William Combs. Combs? Yeah, Combs. William says, Texas... Arch leads them to three winning seasons, two 10-plus win seasons, including one New Year's six-day bowl game win. Arch and this, Arch and Sark bring Texas back, put that in air quotes. Arch earns a record 15 million total in his 3 <laughs> year career at Texas. All that seems on the table. Um, the, the three winning seasons, that might be a little bit tougher because I think Quinn Ewer's pre-draft season, yeah. he's, he's gonna get the nod there. Um, but th- then again, that's why this is bold and brash. So yeah. you just never know. But um, I don't know what the bar is going to be for him in college, because I think it will be dependent on where he goes. Mm-hmm. If he goes to Alabama or Georgia, it's, it's, we're talking national championship, Yeah. right? I think if he goes to Texas, it's weird to say that national championship expectations for Texas are out of reach. Maybe this year will change that. But I think we'd be talking about it, at least going in, at least going in, we'd be talking more about the individual accolades. we are right. talking more about bring the Heisman back to Texas. Vince Young would be the bar. Uh, that's that's probably, and I guess that, that does get into national championship <laughs> expectations as well. Yeah. So anywhere he ends up with these three, unless we're talking Jackson State. Um, yeah, national championship expectations are probably going to be associated with him. But I do think that a lot of this will be what is he going to do from an individual standpoint? Is he going to end up like an all-time college football great? Is he going to be as good as Eli? Is he going to be as good as Peyton? Is he going to be as good as Archie? All, all those things are going to be on the table. That's going to be kind of the well-documented things. But I don't even, I don't even think that's right, though, because I don't like trying to, especially from a number standpoint, of, of trying to over dissect what he can do versus what Peyton did or what Archie did and all, all those different things, because. It's a very different era, it, it really is, it is. And even comparing him to Vince Young might not be totally fair because obviously they're, they're different players. Arch moves well, he's not gonna move like Vince Young. Right. He's just not, okay? But I think that we'll have a different, maybe expectations um, breakdown of what to expect, no matter where he picks, kind of when he commits, and then maybe we'll have a little bit more clarity about where his specific school is at. Although if it's Georgia or Bama, it's, yeah, it's national championship or bust. Two time All American win a Heisman trophy, like that would
1: probably be it. How funny is it, too, that we're talking about comparative to Eli and Payne, two quarterbacks that combined for zero Heisman's and zero national championships. And we're looking at Art saying, well, if you don't win a Heisman and a national championship, you're going to be disappointed. But it's like, well, both of your uncles with number one overall, uh, Eli, kind of in a weird way, I get it, but, and they both had great college careers and didn't do either of those things. That's just kind of the the, the landscape right now, right? It's just like, well, you're a failure if you don't do these things.
0: We're, somebody will capitalize on that because obviously the Mannings are capitalized in the TV commercial business and ways that nobody else is in terms of like an individual family that probably includes the Kardashians as well. Um, <laughs> but if, if somebody comes up with the idea of Arch, if, if Arch wins a Heisman Trophy, and then finding a way to just troll everybody in his family about it, <laughs> would be incredible. You'd probably have to get like the Heisman uh, committee to like sign off on that. If you, the Heisman House commercials, oh they don't gosh. have non-Heismans in there. Yeah. If I'm not mistaken, the, the Nissan commercials, they don't, it's not like they're, they're bringing in Randy Moss or something like that for one of those commercials or like some finalist or like that's that's part of the deal. If there's ever a time to make an exception, that would be it.
1: <laughs> Don't do that. I'd love to see. Pay's it. gonna try to come back. Don't do that. He's gonna get so mad. <laughs> that dude hates losing.
0: <laughs> True. That's a great point. That it would make for uh, it, it would make for an all time commercial though. That's for sure. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, let's do this one from uh, Grant Haney. Grant says he goes to Texas in his first year on campus. He beats out yours. Whoa. Mm. Freeing. <laughs> this is long, by the way. Freeing up Quinn uh, for more Fortnite Battle royales as he becomes Tate Martell 2.0. Oh gosh! Okay. Uh, and takes Texas to its first national championship appearance since the George W. Bush administration. During his awe-inspiring first year in Austin, he will avenge the heinous error made by the Heisman Committee towards his uncle during the Clinton administration. Okay. I see what he's doing here, Grant. Grant, this is already an A plus answer based on the <laughs> fact that you're bringing in presidential administrations, yes. which we are now addicted to on this podcast. Yeah. But I'm uh, and hoist the Heisman Trophy at the superior Orange UT. Ooh, shots fired. However, just like in 09, the horns are exploited and rolled over by another dominant Sabin led Alabama. While he doesn't bring Texas all the way back from a national standpoint, he does restore the balance of power in the Lone Star State uh, over AM and Jimbo. nil wise, his earnings will reach $20 million plus and he becomes the collegiate marketing version of his aforementioned Uncle Peyton. His final season in Burnt Orange will be capped by Peyton and Eli conducting the Manning cast with guests Tom Brady, David Cutcliffe, and Matthew McConaughey <laughs> during the long-awaited <laughs> return of Texas and Texas A&M Lone Star Showdown. I didn't even think about that. That's oh, a true point. Oh, wow. Um, a game won by the horns, 63 to 10, leading to Jimbo's firing <laughs> and returning savings.
1: <laughs> Sorry. Coaching
0: <laughs> rehab center in Tuscaloosa. Okay. Um, There's a lot there. There's a lot there. I don't know why my mind went here. I think my mind went here because I saw, this is unrelated to Arch Manning, Um, but my mind went here because I saw uh, our guy Feinbaum, and I'm gonna give him crap about this, saying, I don't know why more people aren't talking about this being a pressure packed year for Jimbo Fisher. Here's why, Paul. Uh, It's because if Jimbo is fired at the end of this season, he's still owed $85.5 million. Here's another reason why. If he is fired at the end of what year would this be that grant our guy? Unbelievable response, by the way. Yep. Uh, If he was fired at the end of the 2025 season, I have this right here. Um, Carry the (laughs) one. I believe that's in the neighborhood of $58 $58 million that he would still be owed. Well, I have this right here. The amount of guaranteed money that Jimbo Fisher Oh is my God. Every single year. I wrote it out because oh, I wanted the Iowa to see notebook
2: it. Again.
1: I love
0: this guy. Yes. I, I've always got my Iowa notepad sitting right here. Again, it's a freebie. They sent it to us. It's not, it's not a pro Iowa thing. Don't get it twisted. But I, I I wanted to write out the numbers. But if that were the case though, and this is a great point that I totally overlooked. And if he's playing against A&M in the first Texas versus A&M game, in at that point, that would be first game in 14 years. Oh, my God. The ratings. (gasps) Unbelievable. Unbelievable. That would be incredible.
1: Yeah. With career. To answer, yeah, Jimbo has so much leverage right now because number one, he's recruited this massive class of people who could all transfer if he gets fired. And second, he has like a hundred million almost. I understand it's not, but almost sitting there, they owe him. So he's like, if he loses every game this year, they still gotta keep him. Yes. <laughs> like it's, at this point, it's like, well, at least the recruiting class is there and uh, we're gonna have to sell a bunch of oil rigs if we get rid of him, yes. so he's stuck here. <laughs>
0: Let's, let's end with this one before, uh, before we get to the lads of the week real quick. Uh, Reed Cousin says, uh, Georgia starts his sophomore year, loses less than five games his entire career. NIL earnings will not be public, but will be worth north of $10 million. Yep, I don't disagree with that. Probably in that neighborhood. It's going to be a lot of money for him. All right, lads of the week. Will, you want to start us off with the spelling bee
1: runner-up? Yes, yes, I will. So, guys, as we talked about, you know, I was with them. Um Script's National Spelling Bee last week, doing some social, making some memes. There was a very funny moment there where Dr. Bailey uh, said the bird makes a scowl noise, and that was kind of like my little moment that I found that little nugget. So, uh, <laughs> our our lad of the week is the runner-up, obviously the champion. Uh, Harini got a lot of press, and she's you know obviously amazing. Um, but I want to talk about um, Vikram Raju. He is the second place. Uh, I was rooting for him the entire time because uh, he looks like me, but just a little bit darker skinned. Uh, he is a chunk. He is a very polite lad. Every time they asked him a question, he was a killer with the word roots. He was a big time, oh, is it from the Greek this, the Roman this, bop, bop, bop. Captivated. He was, oh yeah, I mean, that was his little his little subset. And from the beginning, his first word was Russoism. I was captivated by Vikram. Uh, he seemed, like I said, very polite, very kind of like had a good head on his shoulders. And I just want to give him a shout out because you know in the last later moments, he got really um, emotional shed a couple of, uh, you know, tears, as one does. Uh, and I think that that's uh, it's super cool. I think it's super cool to, you know, get that far, uh, have a have a have such a bright future ahead of you. And, you know, watching all these Spelling Bee kids, uh, they changed the format a little bit this year. There was a multiple choice segment where that took a lot of context. Mm. Um, and someone like me, I'm great at that, those type of multiple choice questions, but these speller brain kids were it's a lot of memorization. A lot of them were dropping out, and our boy Vikram was just powering through them. And the final round was a timed, like, spell as many words as you can. Well, Unbelievable. Yeah. I, I,
0: my mind exploded watching those, that two minute clip of, I think it was the girl who won, right? Yep. I'm assuming that went like, that went very viral. Yep. Of all of these words that she spells in two minutes, I was like, I can't get one of these. And you're doing these in three seconds without any sort of questions about them. It was unbelievable.
1: Yeah. So just great performance by the lad, you know, ch- testing every part of his brain. We saw the gears going and he came just a couple of words short in a new format. So. Lito, we'd love to see him again, but really just a strong week for the lad. Strong
0: week for the lad, love it. Uh, mine is, uh, my letter of the week is Jason Williams, AKA White Chocolate, <laughs> who uh, gave gave your boy a retweet because a uh, piece I've been working on for a while, I wrote about his daughter, uh, Mia Williams, who is the number one softball recruit in the country in the 2023 class. She's been committed to Florida since she was 12 years old. Mm-hmm. And she's not just like some <clears throat> random Florida legacy or anything like that. And her mom, by the way, Danica Williams, who was an Olympic qualifier throwing the javelin, like just this unbelievably athletic family. Um, but like her story is just amazing. She works, she works incredibly hard. Like her schedule is insane. So it was, it was really cool to be able to do that story. And then also to be able to tweet that out and get a retweet from Jason Williams. Mm-hmm. That was, that was a highlight of the week. Uh, some, so, some experiences in this job. You're just like, what is, what is life right now? Uh, so to be able to get that, yeah, sick, humble brag <laughs> that happened, uh, that happened on Friday night and I immediately texted Will. I was like, there's about like six <laughs> people who really get a kick out of this. And Will is one of them. We so. love white
1: chocolate. Yeah.
0: Yes, White Chocolate's the Man, yeah. Okay, Uh, if you have not, leave us a five-star review. Please, please do that on iTunes. Uh, Join the Facebook group, Hear Your Name Red on Air with Figuring Out Old, Bold, and Brash. Thanks, guys. Talk soon.